Good morning, church. So great to be back with you. My wife and I have been getting jumping on off airplanes for the past few weeks, and it's nothing like coming home to Mama's kitchen. Mama's cooking. Your own worship team. Come on. It's great to be home, isn't it? On January the 8th, I preached a message at that time that I went back and I looked and I have preached that same message now 12 times in different places. The first was here on the 8th of January. But it was a message from the life of Elijah that pretended something that was being set up by God. Prophet Elijah showed up in 1 Kings 18, and the first thing that we, or 17 rather, and the first thing that we see this man doing is declaring a curse. That's an infamous way to start your ministry, is by cursing the land. But that's exactly what he did. That it will neither rain nor do in the next few years except at my command. Now, what's interesting to me is, how much Elijah knew about how this was going to play through. Was he only responding to that prompting of God for that moment, or did he know what the end result was going to be three and a half years later? We don't get any insight into that. But God knew. You see, God, in God's providence, he wastes nothing. Are you hearing me here? He doesn't waste hurt. There is not any lost movement with God in your life or in God's ordering of the nations, God wastes nothing. It's called a prologue, an event that sets up another event. 2020, an event was called a global pandemic. Every one of us in this room have some story of an effect, of, of, of effect that this pandemic had on you or me or someone that was close to us. We know that in Elijah's case, it was three and a half years before the curse was broken. We'll look at that in a moment. And yet we find ourselves in a very similar three to three and a half year period. I believe of the drought being broken. And as I declared in January, I hear the sound of a heavy rain. I hear it. I want you to hear it. But more than just seeing it spiritually, more than just hearing it spiritually, is experiencing that which God is doing in our midst. And what was prophetic in January is now just reporting the news. First picture. This is a picture of a a little school in Wilmore, Kentucky. Asbury College. And in February of 1970, there was what is now known as the Asbury Revival. Some college students hanging out after a meeting, and God showed up. For weeks that followed, God's Spirit began to move in extraordinary, unusual ways. Interestingly enough, my wife's brother was at Asbury and was in this revival. So we've had the privilege of first-hand account. Next picture. 
February 2023, same room, same school, revival fell. Perhaps you've read about it. Because not only did church media pick this up and begin to report it, but the secular media. I read about this everywhere between CNN and Fox and everything in between was reporting this revival. Tens of thousands of people showed up in Wilmore. And this revival is not just limited to one place. It began to move from campus to campus to campus. One of our church planters in another city gave me a call. He said, Pastor Jim, I don't want to go to Wilmore. I want Wilmore to come here. God came, rain fell, and rain is falling now. And in January, the message was, for the most part, How do we prepare for this move of God, this outpouring of God, this awakening, this revival, this renewal? Choose your words. Theologians have been debating it ever since this broke out. But this morning, I want to speak part two of that message. I want to speak now that the rain is falling. How do we respond? How do we respond? And to do that, we go back to the very same story. 1 Kings 18. Elijah's had this amazing moment at Mount Carmel. God has fallen with fire. Fire has fallen from heaven in this moment. God is manifesting himself in dramatic ways. The people that witnessed the event, it says they all, they fell down declaring, the Lord, he is God. Let me tell you, when God begins to move like this, you don't need a whole lot of extra stuff. When you see fall, fire beginning to fall out of heaven, miracles, signs, and wonders, you don't need a lot of preaching in a moment like that. The manifestation does the speaking. And yet it wasn't about the fire falling and consuming Elijah's sacrifice that he had prepared. It wasn't about... The slaughtering of the prophets of Baal. The event was about the curse being broken in this moment. And rain now that had been suspended for three and a half years. Now rain is restored to the land. This was the symmetry. This was the beginning and the end of the story. Elijah says he climbed to the top of Carmel. He began to pray, hearing something, seeing something. And he says to Elijah, Elijah said to Ahab, go tell or go and tell Ahab, brother, hitch up your chariot and go down before the rain stops you. Now just park that off to the side because we're going to come back to it. Meanwhile, the sky grew black with clouds. The wind rose. A heavy rain started falling. And Ahab rode off to Jezreel, 46 of 1 Kings 18. But it says the power of the Lord came on Elijah. Mm. The power of the Lord came on Elijah. And tucking his cloak into his belt, he ran ahead 
of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Now Ahab is in a chariot with horses. Our man Ahab, he's getting it. It looks like Tom Cruise in one of the impossible. You know what I'm saying? Tom loves to run in those movies. Have you ever seen? But let me tell you, Tom's nothing compared to what Ahab is doing. Jezreel, 25 miles, and he's getting it the whole way. And you see, here's Ahab eating and drinking and riding. The picture of, if you wish, carnal man. But what's Elijah doing at the same time? He is climbing Mount Carmel. He is bent down in a position of both birthing and intercession, praying, bringing renewal and revival on the land. The picture of the spiritual man. The same moment, one getting in a man-made chariot, the other one getting before God and praying that this renewal and revival would come break this curse. You see, this rain from heaven, it always speeds things up. It accelerates. We walk by faith, but we run in the spirit. This is the difference. And hear me well. Many of you have felt like things have just stopped. If anything, they've not only been in delay, they seem to be moving backwards. I want to tell you, as you get in this rain, you will get into a season of acceleration where everything will begin to move faster now. But only, only if, it, if you're in the rain of the Spirit while you're trying to do it. This rain was so long coming. So long. Three years, three and a half years. The economy wrecked. Drought, famine, much of what all of us have felt at some point over this same three, three and a half year period of time. But let me tell you, when the rain came, it came fast. Pentecost, the rain came and it came fast. Everything shifted. Jesus, the same group, the same disciples that he gave some of his, some of his power to. Sent them out in twos, miracles, signs, and wonders. But he told these very same guys, wait, there's more. Can you imagine what these guys must have been thinking? The power of God that they had experienced moving through their life. It's like, whoa, even the demons, even the demons move. And Jesus is saying, you just gotten started good. But wait. Because there's more. I want, you to, I want you to hear something, church. This is what the church looks like in revival. God birthed the first church at Pentecost in more. And God wants to rebirth the church in that same more. I want you to hear this. And these guys, they had moved in miracle power, but not like they had experienced after Pentecost. It says many signs and wonders over in, in another passage in Acts, Acts 5, I believe. It says that they brought folks from all over the place. And it says all of them were healed. 
Not a few folk that showed up and got in the right healing line and had the right posture and the right, it says all of them got healed. This is what it looked like under that anointing. But even from those of us who think we've been spirit-led in the past, revival brings with it some requirements. It brings with it some requirements. I believe the great philosopher, Spider-Man, said it this way. <laughs> that with great power comes great responsibility. So this morning, let's talk briefly about then how do we run in the rain? First of all, we run, we don't ride. You know, it's an interesting thing about chariots is that they're man-made. Chariots are propelled or they are hooked up to horses that are trained by men. The horses are trained to respond to the reins that are held in the hands of men. Chariots can only run on the prescribed paths and the roadways that are done what? Designed by men, built by men. Something very unusual about this that we need to pay attention to. God, Elijah told Ahab, you need to hook up, you need to ride on ahead because this rain will stop you. Here's something. You and I have become very proficient chariot drivers. Getting in our own chariots of our own thinking, our own making, our own desires, paths that we've been on before. And many times we invite God to get in the chariot with us. I'll give you the best seat. Here, God, have a seat. Is air conditioning good for you? What can I, what can I call up on Spotify for you? What, what, what you feeling today? So we invite God into the chariot, but we've missed the whole point. Because it's still a chariot of our own making. We're still on a prescribed path that God maybe not, has not even put us on. Eric Hoffer says it this way, where there is the necessary technical skill to move mountains, there is no need for the faith that moves mountains. And could I expand the definition of carnal for you this morning? Because so many times we use the word carnal as a euphemism for sin. I would submit to you that that is a complete insufficient definition of carnal. Carnal is everything and anything that excludes the Spirit of Christ. Everything. Paul lamented his carnality. The longer I walk with God, the more I realize that I'm jumping in and out of my own chariots. I'm doing life completely apart from the Spirit of Christ, directing, propelling. Go here. We've become proficient chariot drivers. Wow. My wife and I pastored a church in North Carolina for many years before we had the privilege of coming and serving Pastor Brett. We had this precious lady in our church. She and her husband were amazing members, full of faith, and she got cancer. So we rallied around her. We prayed. We believed and as often happens, she got on a very, very healthy nutritional course. 
and began to consume prodigious amounts of carrots. I'm talking five, ten pounds a day. I don't know how many Vitamixes they must have worn out in that period of time. Now, for those of us who are melanin challenged, <laughs> these types of things show up. We go out in the sun, we turn red. We eat 10 pounds of carrots a day, we turn orange. We look like a walking cartoon character. Something that Walt would have painted back in the 30s. And this woman turned orange. But God healed her of cancer. And so she got up to give her testimony before the church. And it was, it was wonderful. It was powerful. The church celebrated. And yet 80% of her testimony was about carrots. And I took her aside later and I said, sweetheart, let me help you. You need to decide and you need to declare who healed your body, beta carotene or Jesus Christ. You see, rain hinders the man-made. Psalm 20 says, some trust in chariots and horses, but we trust in the name of the Lord. Look at, the, look at the juxtaposition between the we and the they. They are brought to their knees and they fall. But we do what? We rise and we stand firm. And hear me, saints. We're going in places and maybe ways that we would not choose of our own. See, the other thing about these man-made these man-made tracks, these journeys, these roads, these pathways, is that we tend to choose the straightest, easiest ones. You would agree with that? I mean, given a choice between hopping on an interstate, putting it on 75, and letting it cruise, we, we really don't want to do this. You with me? With the turns and the stops and the, and the toll roads. We don't want to do that. So they're, but they're the roads that we choose. The thing is, if we're really going to be men and women led by the Spirit of God, we've got to be willing to let the Spirit direct those pathways. You see, when Siri tells you something, and all of us have argued with the lady, she gives us directions to somewhere we've been before. And then she gives us some convoluted, jacked up way of getting there. And we begin to argue with this electronic voice. Woman, you have lost your mind. I'm a driver. I know where I'm going. I've been there before. Shut up, please. But you see, Siri is seeing something five miles down the road on 66 that is backed up traffic to Ohio <laughs> that you can't see. And as circuitous as it may seem that she's taking you, she is in reality taking you on the most direct and the safest path to get to where you need to get to. Do you realize that the leadership of the Holy Spirit in our life is exactly the same way? Because why? We don't know where we're going. Well, I thought that's why we had... Pastors and prophets and all you fivefold folk. <laughs> Joshua 3, Israel's about to come over into promise. He says, watch the ark. Keep your eye on the priests. 
He said, why? He said, don't move. Don't move until you see it. How many times do we just start? We just start moving. How many times have I gotten in my car in the mornings and not prayed for safety? How many times, God, is there another path? Is there another way? Is there somewhere else you want me to be? But no, I've got my agenda. You're to move and follow that, Joshua told the people. Then you will know which way to go. Why? Since you've never been this way before. And listen to me, saints. We've never been this way before. I've got some history and some experience that make me anything. I've just been there. I'm older than most of you. All those jokes I told about Pastor Duke, now they're all coming home. It's called sowing and reaping. Love and respect your elders. Many of you have seen or heard about the movie, The Jesus Revolution. And some of us in here are old enough to have had some connectivity. Maybe we weren't in California in 1969. Maybe we didn't come out of Chuck Smith's world, but there were some connectivities in our ecclesiastical worlds that we, we felt that. My wife and I are children of the charismatic renewal of the 1970s. We watched God move again in the 1990s in some, some ways that created quite a bunch of, quite, quite a sturm and drong, if you wish, in the body of Christ. Is this God? Is this not God? You always have folk that, you know, they get drunk in the Holy Ghost and the other folks are saying they drunk in the Holy Ghost. I always have two group of folk. But I have to be careful not to superimpose either my history, past, or preference on this moment. I read this and I quote, somebody once said, you could never get back into Narnia the same way twice. You got through the wardrobe once, it won't happen again. The same is true of revival. Martin Lloyd-Jones made the point similarly about the Welsh revivals, 19th century. And when he looked at the churches that had experienced revival decades prior, one of the tragedies he observed was that they were stuck in the methods of the past. You see, yesterday doesn't prepare you. Walking in the Spirit is what gives you preparation. It's why Jesus said, my grace is sufficient. But you see, it's, it's dispensed to us on a daily basis. And we want the 10-year plan. But God knows you don't need the 10-year plan. You can, follow, you can barely follow the 10-minute plan, son. <laughs> Plus, quite frankly, I don't want the 10-year plan. I don't want to see every obstacle and every pain that I'm going to have to go through. Thank you very much. I just want to find your grace in the moment for the day. All right. It's why we were told, give us this day our daily bread. It didn't say fill up your freezer. It said this day. And some of you still using COVID toilet paper, and you know what I'm talking about. Gotcha. Gotcha. 
But John writes in the epistle, flesh gives birth to flesh. That's all it can produce. But the spirit gives birth to spirit. The wind blows where it pleases. You hear it sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So is everyone born of the spirit. That's why one theologian said, never say never, never say always as it regards to the reign of God. Galatians, we live by the Spirit. Let's keep in step with the Spirit. The first, we've got to run, not ride. Second, the rain releases many times not only God's person and promise, but incredible conflict concurrently. Generations have been waiting to cross into promise. They get to this amazing moment, they cross the Jordan only to run smack into Jericho. Ahab has a moment that most men will never experience, being able to control weather, (laughs) watching the approval of God fall out of heaven with manifestation of fire. What a moment. Yet he broke the drought, he brought the rain, he ran to Jezreel, under the power of the Spirit, only to run straight into Jezebel and then run straight out into the wilderness. He was running to something under the power of the Spirit. And then Jezebel said, I'm coming for you, boy. And he says, bye. And he runs. And it says he despaired of his very life. His very life. He was in good company. Moses, a friend of God. A friend speaking to God breath to breath, mouth to mouth as a man speaks with his friend. And Moses said to God, kill me. I can't feed all these whiners every day. And if you love me, you would have never done this to me. This was God's friend saying that to God. Paul's language, we were perplexed, crushed. We despaired of life. Saints, hear me. You're in good company. Biblical company. Men that are made out of much better stuff than you and I would ever think about being made out of. But they got to this similar place of desperation because of the conflict. Elijah wasn't afraid of Ahab, hundreds of prophets. But you see, there's something unusual about the prophetic. And I'm not just talking about the men and women that move in the prophetic, but there's something about a prophetic people, a prophetic church, prophetic movements of churches that the devil really hates. Particularly in a moment where God is showing up in the reign of revival like he is. And the idea that God is going, the devil's going to step back and say, well, whoops, missed that one. Go ahead. No. He's going to do everything he can to try to steal, kill, and destroy. Why? Because he's the Terminator. He's programmed to do that. He's not subject to pharmaceuticals or therapy. You can't negotiate with a liar. (laughs) 
I was in the green room with a prophet in another state a few weeks ago. Pretty powerful man and woman of God's husband and wife. And they were on an airplane going on a vacation. And their adult daughter in her 30s was on the plane, all those seated in a different place. She heard some commotion going on in the back. And her daughter, who had never had a seizure in her life, was having a grand mal that lasted for two minutes. And she died. Eyes in the top of her head, ashen face, no respiration, no heartbeat. No indication whatsoever of a health challenge. And this prophet realized, not going to happen. And she spoke the resurrection power of God into her daughter's body. And she was resurrected. Thank you for the 17 people that think that's amazing. That's... And you say, oh, she wasn't dead. They said the same thing about Jesus. But she recognized in that moment what was being stolen. And she wasn't going to have it. And we begin to just to compare stories. And those prophetic men and women that were gathered there for that conference begin to just unburden their life of man. Whew, this is what's going on. This, I've never experienced warfare like this before in my life. And it's like, duh. This confusing convergence and conundrum of living in the best and the worst concurrently. Why? And why is that? Because the primary end goal of the devil is to do one thing. It's not just to mess with your life. That's a hobby for him. You know what his assignment is? Is to obscure who God is. Satan's very disinvitation from heaven was about drawing glory to himself that belonged to God. From the very beginning when we see his operations all the way back to the garden. The first couple hiding, God obscured from them. The very nature of what sin does, it's not just about making us feel bad about ourselves. It's the fact that God gets obscured in those moments. This is why the devil loves it so much. And yet, this is the very thing that revival and awakening overcomes. Listen to me carefully. 2 Corinthians 4 says, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers, what? So that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. And my last point in closing. If the enemy's goal is to obscure God, then the goal of revival is to reveal God. Everything else is a byproduct and a benefit. But the primary purpose of all of this, ladies and gentlemen, is God making himself known to the unbeliever and God making himself better known to the believer. Amen. This is what awakening and revival is all about. It is about the centrality of the gospel coming back 
as a root, as a foundation of our life where people can see God unobstructed, unobscured, without human definition, but God being beyond definition. This is what awakening and revival is supposed to bring, not only to the world, but to the church. My goodness. And part of that revelation, and this is the unfun part, is also a revelation of those parts of us that don't yet rightly reflect him. Isaiah, he saw God. Isaiah 6, I'm ruined. I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among a people of unclean lips with an internet connection. And my eyes have seen the king, the glory almighty. Isaiah, realize I'm a dead man. I've seen something, but worse, I've seen me. Paul, Romans 7, what a wretched man I am. I'm sorry, the architect and the author of biblical grace. Romans not written at the beginning of this journey with Christ, written more toward the end of his life. This magnum opus we see in Romans. And here's the conclusion. I'm a wretched man. Who will rescue me from this body subject to death? But then we get to verse 25. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. You see, our original design, ladies and gentlemen, was imparted righteousness. Stay with me. To walk alongside a righteous, holy God. We don't think about this much. We, we, you know, and Adam walked in the cool of the day with God. We, we don't think much about that. But do you realize that for mankind to be able to walk in that sort of proximity and fellowship, it meant that God had to impute something of his own righteousness to be able to have that fellowship, that proximity, and not kill the man. We don't even think about that aspect of what that fellowship entailed. Guess what? That fellowship has been restored to you and to me based on the atoning work of Christ. Because his intent that we would walk with him in that same intimacy and proximity that the original man was designed to enjoy. But to do that, we have to have our Isaiah moments. We have to have those Paul moments. I'm not. I'm not. And you see, when the reign of revival comes, it brings into stark clarity those areas that God is saying, let my reign get to this now. Let my reign and my spirit cleanse this now. Wash this away now. And if we look at the history of revivals, it always includes a new or renewed call that I see beautifully expressed by Paul in Colossians 1. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the spirit, Numa, spirit gives 
so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord, please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God. And real revival. And listen to me, saints. There are going to be all kinds of artifacts. What do I mean by that? It's going to be those things that look like the real thing but aren't. That are going to purport to be revival. Folks trying to hit the gas with longer worship. Preaching a little louder. Going to try to manufacture some of the external aspects of it. But true revival, hear me, is going to result in transformed lives. Because the greatest miracle that God ever performs is the power of transformation. Not a little change. Not so I can feel better about my special snowflakeness. But the transformative power that changes us from the old into the new. That is the miracle. And that is a hallmark historically of revival. But many times we have to come to this very unfortunate conclusion. I'm not. Yet, yet, Paul says it like this, you are a letter from Christ. The result of our ministry, yes, but written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of of human hearts. Hear me, church. We're reporting news now. Rain is falling. Rain is falling. And I don't know about you, but I'm, I, I, I want to get out of my chariot. Not even hand the reins over to God. Just get out. When Elisha got called, guess what he did? He burned the plowing equipment and had barbecue. Anything that had any sense of man-made endeavor, achievement, reward, he killed it in order to spend a dozen years walking with Elijah. And it wasn't just so he was cutting off a way back. He was declaring something in that moment not man-made anymore. It's not by my hands anymore. And saints, we're coming. I re repeat myself and I make this plea to you prophetically. We're coming into such an amazing moment. Historic, global. My greatest desire as a guy that loves the church is that we would be the beneficiaries. Full, filled, running over. In this moment. Jesus, hear our prayers. Amen. Hear our deepest desire. As a writer of Hebrews wrote, let us throw off everything that hinders 
the sin that entangles. And let us run with perseverance, the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. If you're here this morning and you say, Pastor Jim, the only thing I can relate to is my life being in crisis and chaos. I want to say to you, congratulations. Jesus has brought you to this moment to show you not only a way out, but a way through. But it only happens as you allow him control. Control. Allowing him, not just in your life to get you rescued from an eternal destination, which you don't want to be there, but that you would have life and life more abundantly today, here, now. And if you've never had that moment that you've allowed Jesus to step into your heart, this is it. If that's you, slip your hand up. We're not going to ask you to come down to the front, sign anything, do anything weird. This is a moment with you and God who wants to step into your life and fundamentally change it. If you're online, you can respond as well right where you are. So, Lord, we all pray in this moment. Jesus, come into our lives. Come into our hearts. Holy Spirit, we want to learn to run in the rain. Let it happen. Let us be the people that get wet first. That we can run this race that you have gloriously marked out for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Bless you.